Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you and enjoy. Well, hello and welcome to the St. Basil the Great Catholic Church Brecksville podcast. I'm the Director of Evangelization, Tommy Dome, and I am very happy to be joined by Parker Berthelot, uh, 23 years old, originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And Alex Ross, 24 years old, and I'm originally from Indiana. Originally from different states, but here now in Ohio. And you guys are doing something very interesting and very exciting and very different with your lives. You have given them up to a mission. We're going to get to that in a minute. But first, before we get into that background, I want to hear stories of life change. I love the word life change. One word, life change. And I want that to become a very popular word here at St. Basil because I want it to be the sort of thing where our parishioners take notice of and look forward to those moments when we were one way and then we have an encounter with the Lord and now we are different. Like St. Paul says in Ephesians, Jesus is trying to take the old me and him and make one person out of it, like to be that united with Christ. So let's get to the stories of life change. You guys have given your life up for a year or two or a couple of years, and you're on mission, and you're on mission here, really close, in Cleveland, Ohio, and you are working with young people, and you have encountered life change because you go to them with a message. So let's hear one of these stories. All right. So I think one of the most amazing things about life change is how unpredictable it is, how in our mission we can encounter young people. And to us, it could simply be talking to them. For them, it can be affirming their dignity in a way that they haven't received before. So one time in the very beginning of this mission, I casually talked to a girl I saw sitting alone at one of our events, and she was in eighth grade, and talked to her for like an hour just about her life, about her cross country, how that was going, all of her after school activities. And then I left. But little did I know later that summer, someone came up to me and said, Hey, so I was talking to her dad the other day. And he said that she has not been the same since that she's living out of a confidence that he hasn't seen from her before. And that blew my mind that life change could come out of that simple encounter of recognizing her as worthy of conversation, of dignity. And I remember that conversation being kind of hard to pull out because I don't think she really entered it thinking, wow, I'm interesting or wow, like I have something to say. But by the end, I noticed how she started to notice that she was worthy of that pursuit. And so just reflecting on that and seeing that the change that can happen by simply encountering someone in their God-given dignity so that they can truly not just know that truth, but experience that truth and live out of that truth has a lot of power. So you talked to an eighth grader for an hour and she experienced life change. So what did you say to her? I did not say anything profound, to be honest with you. I really think that the heart of transformation comes from the way in the disposition in which we encounter people. So I think I hope she felt my love for her. I saw a lot of myself in her, a lot of the insecurity of wondering, am I enough? Do I have to prove that I'm worthy of love in order to really make it in this world? And in just the way that I encountered her, I tried to answer those questions with like a resounding yes. You know, you're so interesting. 
and meaning it, really taking wonder in, in who she was. Mm-hmm. And we shared that night. So part of our mission is sharing the truth of human dignity. And so we had just had this presentation on human dignity and just how worthy every single person is of love, not because of something they can do, but literally just because they are, because they're a son or daughter of the father. And I think that that conversation was kind of an affirmation of that truth that we just shared. So we were able to give her truth, but then also give her an experience of that truth Mm. and an affirmation of that truth within her own self. What a powerful combination. And what a lie it is that we reduce people to their function. Mm. That's like at the heart of euthanasia, thinking these people, they don't have anything else to contribute to society. So we don't need them. We can let them end their own lives. Yeah, so many things. When we reduce people to a function, what can you do for me? Rather than, it's just so great that you are, and you're unrepeatable. Well, some of your mission in the organization is sort of sort of coming out a little bit just through that story. And it's much more organized than that, because Alex does not go around uh, <laughs> just finding middle schoolers who are sitting alone. That would be creepy. So you guys get invited in. And you're part of an organization called the Culture Project, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that, Parker? Definitely. Yeah, so the Culture Project is an initiative of young people set out to restore culture through the experience of virtue. We proclaim the dignity of the human person, the riches of living a life of sexual integrity, inviting our culture to become fully alive, Uh, which is a pretty lofty ideal, obviously. But the way that that looks like more practically is that all of us are young adult missionaries, all in our early to mid-20s, most of us recent college grads who, like you said, have given up a year or more of our lives to really proclaim the good news of who we are and how we're called to live. And so a lot of times we're invited into middle schools, high schools, youth groups, uh, anywhere where there are young people and give a series of dynamic presentations on the dignity of the human person, on living a life of virtue and sexual integrity and chastity, and really just engaging with these people, these young people in the midst of the struggles that they're in right now, answering their questions, walking with them like Alex did in her own story. And really what it is that we make a series of commitments, really, one to the work that we do going into these schools, speaking with the young people. We also make a commitment to community. So we live together in community on team. We make a commitment to pray together, daily mass, daily holy hour. We make a commitment to ongoing formation. So we're constantly being formed in the things that we talk about, as well as just an ongoing call to really just kind of grow as human beings ourselves. Um, and yeah, that's essentially a really core basis of who we are as the culture project. It's, it's definitely different when you have someone living the truth that they're proclaiming. I mean, the truth belongs to all of us. No one has a monopoly on the truth and anyone can speak the truth, but to speak the truth and to be living the truth, you know, how do you find that that makes your message, I don't know, more compelling or more sincere or more well-received i <laughs> it's funny because i i can't remember who that who said this but we've probably all heard that quote before perhaps of you know modern man listening more to witnesses rather than teachers we've probably also heard that you know people aren't going to care what you say unless they know that you care and so in a lot of ways a lot of remission comes from not necessarily what we're speaking at these people but really what it is the mission of encounter a lot of times our presentations, what we're speaking about, really is mostly a 
gateway to have those more one-on-one encounters, to have those opportunities to really answer their questions. Because all these things that we talk about, human dignity, sexual integrity, these are all things that are going on in our culture today that regardless of where we think our young people are, they're questioning these things, they're wrestling with these things, they have these things going on in their own life. Um, and, and they want answers, you know, they, they want someone to be real and true and honest with them. And so we come in with these presentations, we provide some answers, um, and then we're able to walk with them. We're able to show them the way in which we're going. And we're able to even point, maybe like you said, in the way that we live it out ourselves, or at least we try, because we're never perfect, but in the way that we try and live it out ourselves, hopefully is a witness in and of itself of this is actually something worth pursuing. This isn't just uh, doctrine. This isn't just truth that we're just spewing out, but this is something that we've actually come to experience and know in our real actual lives. And we know that this is a way worth pursuing and that we're willing to give up a year or more of our lives to show you that way as well. So what does it actually look like? You said you walk with the folks. You don't just come in, give a presentation and leave. So what else is there? How, how do you do that encounter? How do you do that little sort of walking with part? Absolutely. So generally, we try to set up our engagements with the schools or parishes in a series of kind of like a curriculum, you could say, of talks. And so we give that presentation on human dignity and then one on sexual integrity. They kind of build off one another. And then we have another presentation on virtuous social media usage, which a lot of these other issues of how do we respect people on there really flow into. And in between that, we try to be open to lunch encounters with the students as well as simply Q&A sessions in order to truly start to form relationship with them and help them move freely within these truths to be able to talk about them themselves. Also, I might add, (laughs) we give parent talks as well. And I think that's a really important part of our ministry because it alerts parents what we're sharing with their young people so that they can continue to have these conversations at home. And we can see more of a societal transformation and where this is a common thing to talk about rather than something to be avoided because it can be uncomfortable to go into sometimes. Yes. So when you speak to these students at parishes or schools, are you talking to the boys separate from the girls? Are you talking to them together or you do both? We do a little bit of both. So for our human dignity presentation, a female and male missionary gives that together to both genders. And the beauty of that is you can see this complementarity in the delivery and in the reception of these truths. To know that these children are on the same page with one another, I think is really affirming to them that they know the other people in their class are hearing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. The sexual integrity presentation is the only presentation in which we break up into uh the women in the men's see, so that we can really go a little bit more vulnerably into our stories and our unique experiences as men and women and what that particularly looks like in our sexual identity being lived out in the way that the church proclaims so beautifully to lead to our flourishing. A cool aspect of that, though, is there is the possibility of coming together after these talks, after Q&A sessions with students about chastity, about sexual integrity, to kind of bring the grade together and asking them, is there anything else that you'd like to ask the other gender? So we've done this a couple of times and I've mm-hmm. seen the fruit in my own life of how people have been so just mind blown at how the other gender just needs to be understood in order to be loved. There can be this division that's drawn and this distrust that's drawn between the two sexes 
that can so easily be clarified. And it's really beautiful to see that happening at ages as young as seventh graders, right? Where they start to realize that these things that they're resenting in the other gender might not be on purpose and just bringing up, hey, I want to be seen or known in this way and having a answer of, cool, I would love to respect you in that way is really empowering for for these grades. Yeah. So you guys... How did you even get in get into this? So this this is a an organization that's in several different dioceses around the country, and so you guys come from other states, and now you're here. But how did you hear about? It? How did you get involved? How did you decide to do this with your lives? Yeah, I think every single missionary really does have their own particular story as how they got here. But one thread that does kind of move along everyone's stories, if you ask each and every missionary is that some aspect of the mission touched on something in their own personal life, something that happened in their past, some form of redemption that they had in the topics that we speak about, um, something that spoke to them through these topics that made them want to go out and share it with other people. So for me personally, in particular, I met a culture project missionary whenever I was in college, um, originally from Louisiana, like I said earlier, and we don't have a team in Louisiana, but there happened to be a missionary kind of visiting down there and came, stopped by my college, and uh, just gave a presentation on sexual integrity. And uh, I had never heard of the Culture Project at all before. I had maybe seen their logo on social media here and there, but I didn't even know who they were. I didn't even know if they were a Catholic organization or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just kind of knew that they existed. And so uh, I went to this presentation and just remember just really being blown away. And I remember this one single question just sort of burning in my heart was, how can I do what you do? Like I just saw something incredible and amazing and my heart's on fire now and like I'm just pumped up and like I'm just experiencing all these things. Like how can I do what you do? And so sadly, I didn't ask her right then and there. I kind of like took one of every promotional material and just like, hi, thank you and just kind of left, right? Um, But that question continued to burn and burn and burn as I continued to go throughout college until eventually whenever it came time to really decide what am I going to do with my life now? You know, I'm, I'm about to graduate. Do I want to go into something more related with what I've been studying? Or do I really want to follow this sort of burning fire, this passion that's kind of been ignited in the meantime? Um, and really just kind of weighing them out and just really realizing that I don't think there's anything else that I could do right now that I feel the Lord calling me to that would be as free in doing that anything else that I would find, I'd have to really search for it. And I probably wouldn't be nearly as happy. And so from the very beginning, there was this real draw of joy of seeing someone fully alive, really speaking about deeply human experiences and shining light in them, offering hope in them that really drew me in and made me ask myself, is this what I want to do? And the answer was yes. (laughs) And yeah. Yeah. And for me, similar to what Parker was saying, it was really that that encounter that changed something within me that I couldn't shake. I encountered the Culture Project at a focus conference and I picked up some of their promotional material, brought it home. And I had for the longest time in college been striving to live out a life of virtue and specifically chastity of sexual integrity. And the words that they had in their material, in these um, blogs that were printed out, were so striking to my heart when I read them because here I was trying to live this life and here finally someone was giving me bold, practical ways in which I could take steps forward in that life of virtue. 
And in taking those steps within my own life, kind of inspired by this material, I was amazed how this whole time I had been trying to live out chastity as not to be hurt. I didn't want to be used. I didn't want to be hurt. And that was good. Mm-hmm. But what I ended up discovering was that chastity allowed for something so much bigger. It allowed for this type of love and this capacity of love I had never experienced before. It was this positive benefit, not yes, neutral, and it not blew just a my no, mind. But a yes. A radical yes. Lots and of little no's that make up to big yeses. A hundred percent. And that experience was so amazing to me. I just wanted to preach it to the rooftops that this is a true and sure way to happiness, to human love, and to seeing the people in our lives in the way God sees them in this radical love. And on top of that, I was minoring in counseling at the time, and we had lots of practice um, doing role plays in the counseling office. And every single time anybody shared any struggle in their life, it always came down to that question of either who am I? What is my identity? Or what does my sexuality mean? And all of these issues, I just saw how specifically the truths of theology of the body preached by Pope John Paul II could remedy. And so when I remembered, hey, maybe I should go back to the Culture Project to speak into these things, the moment I visited and saw the love that they had for each other was so inspiring that I knew I wanted to be a part of it. There's a chapter in in one of my favorite books. It's by Peter Kreeft, and the book is called Because God is Real. And the chapter is called Why is Sex So Confusing? (laughs) So I'm going to ask you the question in a moment. But for right now, I want to hear another story of life change. So you got one for us, Parker? I want to hear about a real person. Yeah, a real person. Um, Yeah, so like we said, we offer a series of dynamic presentations. One of those presentations is a presentation on human dignity, how each and every human person is created in the image and likeness of God and therefore is worthy of love and respect, not because of what they do, what they have done, anything like that that each and every human being is worthy of love and respect. So we're at this one local high school in the area. We had been giving these presentations all day long to all these classes, really just back to back to back. And honestly, it was just really, really tiring. Um, so just kind of snap, 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 go, go, go. Um, at the very last presentation, though, there was this student, this sophomore who came up to me. Um, and he started sharing with me and my speaking partner, actually, how uh, back home, he really didn't feel even respected by his own family. That a lot of times he sort of felt overlooked. A lot of times he felt like he had to prove himself. He started talking about how in his life right now, he's really trying to get into college to really prove himself, to really make something of himself in a way. Um, and his question to us wasn't so much, how can I help see this dignity more in myself? He said that he loved the presentation. He could see it in himself, but almost more, how can he help his own family, those people closest to him, actually see that dignity in him as well? Um, which kind of just breaks your heart that right from the get-go, sad. right? Just right from the get-go, your own family feeling like you're not even loved or seen as worthy of unrespect by your own family. Really terrible. But we began to really give him some advice to really speak into this as well. And to really just affirm him as well, just to remind him that like he's awesome, that he's incredible. And what was amazing to see is that he came up to us really kind of shy, really kind of timid, and almost kind of seemed like he didn't really come up and speak to us. He seemed really low confidence. Uh, but by the time we were done talking to him, just huge smile on his face, just beaming, super excited. Um, and by the time we were done talking to him and offering him advice, he was just smiling at us and he said, thank you so much. Y'all are my favorite. And he gave us a hug. <laughs> and then he walked off. And then a couple of days later, we actually went back to the same high school to speak to a different grade level. And when we went back there, 
that same student actually saw us in the hallway again. And this is like two weeks later now. Mm -hmm. And still same smile on his face, came up and talked to us, remembered our names. We asked him how he was doing. And in that brief moment, it just sort of showed like the lasting impact of this. Like these presentations aren't just feel good, like hoorah, feel good about yourself. Like these are actually kids out there struggling with who am I? Am I worthy of love? Like who am I in this world? And just in those brief moments of encounter, like just like asking him his own story and just hyping him up as well and just telling him how good he is. Like he remembered that and he was still smiling and he remembered our names and it made a lasting impact that I can only hope is like still going on right now, to be honest. Life change, baby. <laughs> Love it. All right. Let's get to why is sex so confusing, okay? Every one of us is a sexual being. Like every time I eat a burrito, I do it as a man. And every time I play badminton, I do it as a total alpha male. <laughs> I'm awesome <laughs> at badminton. <laughs> no, I used to be. So if sex is such a central part of who we are, how is it that we get it wrong so often? Is this a cruel game God is playing with this big mystery that is hard to unlock? I love the way that you're articulating that question and the way that you're speaking of, yeah, everything we do as a sexual being, because that speaks into the heart of our sexuality is more than just our bodies, which is something we try to reduce it to. Um, but it touches the anatomy of our spiritual and emotional lives. It really does. And if these things get disintegrated like they did at the fall in a way that's not in line and integrated and aligned with the Lord's plan for authentic love, then that's where all the craziness is coming in. That's where all the questions are coming in. And it's re really easy with all those moving parts for that disintegration to sneak in, especially when we live in a culture that is taking this good desire we have for another and distorting it. Our sexual desire is good. It leads us to another. It points us out of ourselves. And in a world of isolation, we need that sometimes to realize we're not the center of the world, to recognize another being. But we can use this good desire and point it back in on ourselves. And this is where things can get really bad. We see this with the mess of the pornography industry that's plaguing our culture in a lot of extreme ways, not just in explicit ways, but in very subtle ways too, throughout social media and beyond, where what pornography is doing is seeing the goodness of the human person, the goodness of the human body, and distorting it towards oneself instead of away from oneself to lead us closer to who that person really is. And so there's this, um, this ripping away of the person from their sexuality. And those things can never be disparate. They have to be so intimately connected because they're, they're parts of who we are. Yeah. I was going to ask you, but you just answered it because several times already you have said the word sexual integrity. And I was just going to ask you, what is integrity? You know, usually when we hear that word, just think like, oh, she's a stand up lady or, you know, he's a good guy, decent guy. But when you pair it with its opposite of disintegration, it's these pieces that were made to be woven together and were pre-fall have come apart. Yeah, I think whenever you ask like, what does integrity mean even? I think the core of the definition there is really to make whole, uh, to make unitive again. Um, a lot of what Alex was talking about was, you know, post-fall, uh, we experienced a lot of ruptures, right? You know, man and woman in relationship with each other man with the world around him, man even within himself, you know, we see sin enter into the world now. And so in a certain sense, we almost see sort of man at war with himself and sort of this ripping apart of, um, you know, the soul and the body almost. In a lot of ways, we 
post-fall have sort of distanced ourselves from our bodies. There is so much pain out there in the world today. You know, there's so many ways that people have been hurt, um, that they've been abused, that they've been uh, just wounded in, in so many different ways. And precisely because of that disunity, that rupture within us, it could be so tempting then to sort of distance ourselves from our bodies, distance ourselves from our sexuality. I think that's where a lot of the confusion comes in. And so when talking about integrity and talking about unity, it's sort of kind of bringing those two halves back together. You know, that we are not, uh, you know, souls entrapped in a body. We are not a body that happens to be animated mm-hmm. by a soul or anything like that, but like we are a body soul composite. You know, we yes. are our bodies, right? And so I think whenever we're talking about sexual integrity, we're talking about this aspect of our bodily being, our sexuality. What is its intended purpose? What is its intended end? Alex really hit on a lot that our sexual desire is meant to lead us to another person. Um, you know, the sexual act itself really being for unitive and procreative measures that we see that this aspect of our humanity, who we are as a person, has a certain end. And that whenever we fail to really follow that path towards its right end, things kind of become skewed and, and twisted and, and wrong and, and things don't really work out the way that they should. And so I think sexual integrity as a whole is really sort of living in accord with who we are. And I think that's why we start with human dignity, because once we know who we are as a human being, then we know how we're called to live. If we do it the other way and we look about how are we called to live before we know who we are, mm-hmm. then we're going to be having all these questions. We're, yeah. we're going to be wondering, why, why do I have to follow this rule? Why do I have to follow that rule? But once we know who we are as human beings, creating the image and likeness of God, then we know then what is the proper response to another human being. How am I supposed to use this gift of my sexuality then? And so sexual integrity is really just bringing all that together into a unitive whole. Yeah, what a lie it is that a lot of people inside the Catholic Church and outside think that we are just a soul in a body temporarily, and our body is just, it's like the sock of mm-hmm. a sock puppet. And, and when we're done, we get rid of it. But it's like, we get our bodies back. And in a way, when we're in heaven, before the resurrection of the body, there's an incompleteness there. God wants to give our bodies back. All right, I want to talk about men and women, or young men and young women specifically. One thing that comes up a lot in discussing men is men's greatest fear is inadequacy. So I'm going to ask you, Parker, what you think about that. Accurate, partly accurate. Does that comport with your experience? And then, Alex, I'm going to ask you, woman's greatest fear, abandonment? Parker first. Sure. I think definitely inadequacy is a fear of every man. Something that I even share in my own sexual integrity talk whenever I'm speaking to the men is sometimes I'll talk about, um, you know, we've probably all had an experience before where we didn't really know exactly what we were doing or uh, we were kind of failing at some task and all of our, our buds were around us, all of our friends. Uh, and we try to like play it off. You know, either we failed and we're like, oh, it was no big deal, whatever. Or we didn't know what we were doing. We kind of faked it until we made it kind of and, and maybe it crashed and burned. Who knows? And just kind of pulling out of them, like, why is that? Because we don't want to be found out. We don't want to be seen as less than a man. We don't want to uh, be seen as incompetent or anything like that. Uh, there really is a desire uh, in the man for greatness, for, um, this ability to provide, to go out on an adventure. 
Um, in a lot of ways, there's a desire in not just little boys, but really any man of any age to be a hero, to go out on adventure. And if you're inadequate at something or you're failing at something, we have this idea that, well, then you can't be a hero, right? Then, you know, you're that lame side character instead. You're not the main guy, right? And so I do think that there is this great fear of not being enough. And I think that's in a lot of ways, specifically talking about men and their own struggles with sexual integrity. I think that's where a lot of those root issues could come from. Sometimes there's actually a boy after one of my talks who he came up to me afterwards and he was mentioning how this is girl that he really liked and that this is probably like an eighth grade or something like that. It was a girl that he really liked and he wanted to ask her to a dance coming up, but he said, I'm just terrified though. <laughs> how do I do this? Right? Like what's the solution? And, you know, of course I, you know, offered him some advice and, uh, kind of just told him, you know, there's not really a silver bullet. You kind of just have to go for it sort of a thing. But I, I think even just those little snapshots kind of show, you know, why is he so terrified to do it? Because there's a natural fear of rejection. Yeah. Fear of rejection totally tied up with inadequacy. Mm -hmm. And regardless of who you are, man or woman, we all desire to be seen, known and loved. And if you reject it, then that's a direct attack on that desire to be seen, known and loved. Um, and directly relate to that for the man as well. There's this feeling of being inadequate then. And so I think even little things like that, like you hear a lot today that like people don't date anymore. And one, there's many reasons why people probably don't date anymore, but one of them probably is, is because there's a lack of courageous men asking girls out in the first place. Yep. They're afraid of not being adequate enough. They're afraid of being rejected. And so it's much easier to kind of play it more ambiguous and vague because at least even if we don't know what this is, at least this isn't a no. And so it's kind of like this mm. this sort of wall that they're putting up instead. Um, and I mean, that could go on to, to multiple things because then again, if you're not dating, then you get the whole hookup culture and blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying it all comes from that fear, but that definitely plays into it. So I definitely agree with that, that there is this huge, huge fear of rejection and inadequacy uh, in the heart of a man that really needs to be this continuous sort of calling out and working against and this certain need for a call to rise up and courage within that as well, I think. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Alex, what about you? Greatest fear of woman? Is it abandonment or something tied to it? I would say the word abandonment actually does resonate because there's this desire in the heart of the woman to be seen, to be seen as beautiful, but for it not to stop there, but for others to be drawn into that, to be drawn into themselves. I tell a story in a lot of my sexual integrity talks to the women about me being in eighth grade, one of my first school dances. I was a tomboy, so I was one of the only ones wearing pants, but I remember looking in the mirror before that night and just recognizing this desire in my heart to be seen as beautiful and to be approached, to make others say, hey, I want to know her. I want to pursue her, whether that be in friendship, whether that be in a romantic relationship. I just wanted to to draw someone to myself. I wanted to be worthy of that. And as I started talking to other women, I've started to give a, a name to, to that desire. And I actually would call it the itch of the gift because there's a reason we have that desire. Because we desire to be seen because somewhere deep inside we know that we're worthy of being seen and that God created us uniquely for a reason to be seen because we have something to offer the world that only we can give. 
we are a gift that needs to be received. And so that desire in us is a reflection of just how necessary we are. And somewhere in us, even if we've been received a lot of wounds that make us think we might be unworthy of being received, we we desire that. We desire to draw others in. I also think of a quote by Edith Stein about the feminine genius. She says that a woman's soul is a place in which the human heart can unfold. It's a sanctuary in which the human heart can unfold. And I think that's another sign that this desire to draw people in stems from what we can offer because we know that we want to draw people into ourselves, not just for it to stop at us, but to allow them to be free there. It's something unique to, I think, the feminine heart that we can bring to the world. And so I think why the thought of abandonment is so painful to the heart of a woman is because instead of drawing another into ourselves, we feel like we're driving them away. Even if they're leaving for some other reason, we feel and we ask the question, am I one, not enough? Or two, am I too much? And these are things that so many women have brought to me form, forms of these two questions. And they can sound so radically different based on the female experience, based on the human experience in general. But at the heart, I think it's it's those two questions. And I think what's needed is an understanding, first and foremost, that our identity lies in a God who will never leave. And there's so many women out there who either in friendships with both men and women think that they're worthy of people leaving them. And that's something that so much love needs to be spoken into into their hearts about. I love how you articulated that, that beauty draws in, draws people to itself, and it has a gravity about it. And I think about Jesus saying, mm. I will draw all people mm. to myself. And he is like, capital B, beauty, mm. just incarnate. It's so awesome. <laughs> So, very quickly, I just want to make a, a distinction here. I think that you guys don't condemn the culture. I mean, you do a little bit of that because you have to, but you want to redeem the mm. culture. Mm. Like, it's a great temptation for us, especially religious Christians, to just point fingers and say, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad about the culture, and condemn it. But you guys, what I love is you guys are entering into it and saying, yeah, this is bad. And that's a battlefield, a mission field, and I'm going in there. And I'm going to mm -hmm. redeem this culture from the inside out. And that's why I love just your powerful and brave witness of uh, commitment. And But how do they, how do you guys even eat food? Where does the money come from? How do you live? Seriously, how do you pay for your chimichangas, Parker? <laughs> <laughs> We, each missionary has a commitment to support raise their salary, essentially. So our commitment is a year-long commitment. It can be renewed year after year, uh, but it essentially runs from June to June, every commitment. And so in the beginning of June, we have a little bit of a training, sort of an orientation. And then after that, for essentially the length of the whole summer, from June to say the end of August, we're back home talking with friends, family members parishioners from our parish, random people that we're connected with by friends, whoever it is, and just telling them about the mission and just telling them about how we were drawn to the mission and asking them to uh, support us on a monthly basis going forward. And so each and every missionary sort of has this really kind of beautifully, this community of people from their own community back home, kind of backing them and supporting them through uh, their whole mission year. And that's 
really how we're able to get our chimichangas <laughs> able to, uh, you know, eat and survive and all those good what things. What do you like better, eating chimichangas or saying the word chimichanga? I think I like saying chimichangas better, same. honestly. I don't really eat many yeah. chimichangas. Oh, do I? They are, I don't really eat many chimichangas. Oh, no, no, but no I, same. I do want to say it. I do want to <laughs> say it a lot. Well, you didn't bring money up. I brought it up. And I brought it up because if you are listening and it's moving in your heart that we have these awesome young people out there. I mean, on the frontest of front lines, like doing the work for the future of the church and the future of the country and the world. You know, it's not like you only go into Catholic high schools, right? We have gone to a couple of public schools. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you want to learn more or support this mission, go to thecultureproject.org and you can find out how to bring them to your school, your kid's school, your nephew's school, your grandkids' school. So they can hear a message, but not just hear a message, like meet somebody who is happy, right? Mm -hmm. St. John Vianney said, there should be no long-faced saints. Like if you're frowning all the time, you're doing something wrong because we have so much to be hopeful for. That's why I love seeing you guys, hang out with you guys, because you're so happy. This is the joy. There's so much we could focus on to be negative about or to despair about, but the Lord is alive. Well, we are wrapping it up, but I want to share a Bible verse that I read the other day that I just don't remember. And I read it, and I was like, this is so good. So, through the magic of editing, I'm going to go get my Bible right now, and then be back, and it's going to seem like no time passed. And I'm already back. This Bible verse came to mind because of your mission, and the way that you present your message to young people. So, this is from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, and it's chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love this. I love this so much, because St. Paul's saying, I'm not perfect yet. But Jesus Christ has made me his own. Jesus Christ has made me his own. And that is the, uh, at least what I think, part of the, the beginning of your talk. You know, you start with the human dignity and how we're made in his image and likeness and being perfect. Yeah, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. But for right now, let's just accept who God is and who we are and how we're going to become one united in this life as much as possible and then forever in heaven. All right. Thecultureproject.org doesn't just talk about social media. They have social media accounts that are really good and have tens of thousands of followers because they are really good. They're really, really well done. What are those? You can follow us at the Culture Project INTL. So that is our handle on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And you can also follow us on YouTube and subscribe for a lot of videos about the things that we teach about. We also have all those social media accounts, uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So follow us on those. And I just want to say thank you so much, Parker. Thank you so much, Alex, for being here. Thank you for having having us. us. (laughs) You're welcome. Remember, if you want to just take off, if you want to experience life change, then the recipe is simple but not easy. Pray every day. Open up that Bible. Run those rosary beads through your fingers 
Get to Mass every week. Get to the Sacrament of Reconciliation every month. And every year, do some sort of spiritual retreat or pilgrimage, and your life will change. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.